Welcome to PIP podcast number 29 and the first episode for 2020. In this episode, Robin talks about getting started gardening with Fabian Capomola, aka The Hungry Gardener. Fabian has made a career out of getting people gardening at home, co-founding The Little Veggie Patch Co. in 2009 and more recently writing his book Growing Food the Italian Way. In the podcast, you'll hear Fabian's tips for composting, space-saving designs, feeding your soil and growing seedlings. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to the PIP podcast. This is the first podcast of the year. So with the crazy start of the year that we had with the fires, and now we've got this global pandemic that we're all experiencing. We had had a little break from podcasts, but now we're back. And I thought more, now more than ever, it's with everyone staying at home and being more interested in growing food, I thought it was good to get them back up and running. So welcome back, everyone. And today I'm speaking to Fabian Capamola, aka The Hungry Gardener. So thanks for having a chat with me today, Fabian. Thanks for having me, Robin. I really appreciate it. My I pleasure. Love now, you started uh, the Little Veggie Patch Co. many years ago with Matt Pemba. Now, could yeah. you tell us a bit about what that company was about and how, what caused you to start doing that? Um, really, it started with, um, I had, you know, this is the, the old story. I had a, a boss, an idiot of a boss at the time <laughs> that I didn't get along with. Yeah. And I rocked up to work one day and I said, oh, and this is when I was working in advertising. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. This is crazy. I'm just, yeah. and I quit. And <laughs> too much to the demise of my wife because um, we just had my son, Jack, yeah. and he was born. She said, what are you doing? We need the money. I'm not working. And I'm like, oh, trust me, this will be all right. Yeah. So I went back to study horticulture at Burnley. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because um, obviously I had a, uh, an interest in growing food and it was growing food in my backyard at the time as a hobby. And um, I remember wanting to make a living out of it. So mm. I went and studied at um at Burnley, and at the same time, I was trying to get some part-time work um, in the garden industry, mm. and no one wanted to employ me. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, geez, how's this going to work? And then I, um, I was working with Matt's uh, sister at the time, or previous, when I'd quit my job, and um, she mentioned that Matt was doing something sort of similar to myself, mm. and that we should catch up and have a chat, and we caught up, had a coffee, and next thing you know, we started a business together. Mm. And the idea was that we'd help people grow food in their own homes. Yeah, um, yeah. Originally, the idea was that um, hopefully we could help maintain their gardens in their in their homes, but predominantly it became a business where it was actually about setting it up and taking mm -hmm. a lot of the hard work for people. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. Well, that's... I think a lot of people are interested in that starting up phase at the moment. So yeah, and yeah. it's the hardest. The hardest part is actually just is starting. But yeah. once you've got the infrastructure in place, and that's where we predominantly uh, went about that. And I was so fortunate to be given some great opportunities because I was studying at the time uh, and still continuing to study to try and get masters in horticulture, but I never ended up finishing because yeah. the business just got too busy. Yeah, and you probably learnt a lot on the job by actually doing it rather than studying you it. Do. And that's the great thing about gardening. You're always learning, yeah. you know. Because every year, every season's different. Mm. So never really become an expert. You get better at it yeah. and you 
and you make better decisions, yeah. but you never always get it totally right. And that's what I love about gardening is you're constantly learning. Yeah, yeah. And I guess you looked at a lot of different types of gardens and different settings and some that would have had a lot of sun and some that had no sun and some with sandy soil, some with clay. So you would have got quite a broad idea. You do. And but predominantly mainly in suburban and urban settings, so yeah. limited space, yeah. um, also limited access, which was difficult to actually get a lot of the materials into a lot mm. of the stuff. Um, and, yeah, just trying to, you know, get a – a lot of the, the business itself was – was just trying to encourage people to, to give it a go mm. and and to start and trying to figure out because it's also I think the, one of the important things about um, setting up a garden or in general is to spend time in it and to have a greater understanding of what actually mm. happened in that space and no two no two yards are the same no. so what works in someone's yard and and you can even say that in the same way in terms of the, the plants within your own yard mm. you know some plants do well over in that corner yet if you were to plant it in the other corner of the garden mm. it won't do very well at all because yeah. it's either yeah. exposed to more light or wind or some other factor so it's really about a process of trial and error so what would you so what, suggest to people who are now wanting to either start a brand new garden or they've yeah got a bit of a garden going but they want to get a bit more serious about it firstly if you have no garden i suggest you go make a cup of tea and then <laughs> and then go spend some time outside read the paper just get a gauge of what where the sun comes from yeah, yeah. you know that's a key factor without sun plants can't photosynthesize yeah. um, and ideally you want to get as much sun as possible because it's so much easier to create shade yeah, you know yeah. you can't so you're best choosing a spot that has the most sunlight. Um, so um, if need be, you don't have much sun because sometimes you don't have a choice because mm. there might be a building next door or a tree or something that's creating a bit of shade. You can also look at ways to incorporate a bit more light. So I, you know, I've recommended using things like mirrors or mm. paint fences white yeah. so they can actually start or light colours to reflect the light back into the space. Mm. And then... Second of all is to think about what it is that you're going to be planting into. Mm. More, most people think that they're growing plants, yeah. you know, and they are, but first and foremost, they're growing soil. Yeah. So it's really important. It's like, the, you know, the foundations to a house. If you get the foundations all wrong, the house is going to fall over, mm. and it's the same with your garden. So mm. if you spend time on actually um, getting the soil right, and that does take time, mm. uh, if you want to build it up over a period of time and keep building organic matter, um, that's the idea behind it. But if you to really start off to, with, to begin with, um, it's really about just trying to, to work that soil. Mm. So what would you suggest people could do? They're just digging up a lawn or using an old bed in the corner? Well, I've just done that. To... I've actually just personally done that because yeah. stuck at home now. Yeah, I normally yeah. out doing other people's gardens. And, yeah. and of course, we're all at home and... Yeah. Uh, I also came to the realisation of recent is that we're not moving, you know, because we've mm. been – I live in a – see, some people think, oh, I live in a, uh, a big, you know, property with acreage and yeah, I've got yeah. a massive veggie garden. It's not the case. I live like 50 metres from the beach on 280 square metres. Yeah. Um, Which is a, a great example to show what you can do in such exactly. a space. And I've got – I've had a space down the side of the house, but it's south-facing that I've been trying to grow stuff and mm. it just hasn't been working for me. Yeah. And I – 
and I've come to the realization that I need to dig up the front yard because that's where I get the most sun. Yeah. You know, and the kids don't play out much actually. You know, yeah. so. I've gone, oh, stuff it. I'm going to dig up my lawn. So that's what I've done. So the first thing you do is just you try to get rid of as much of the grass as you can. And then it's a process of what's called double digging. So you're just wanting to turn over the soil to aerate it. And then you'll put in some organic matter. So get your hands on some manure, uh, some compost, whatever you can, because it's mm. difficult at the moment because you can't necessarily go out and get it. Mm. Even even do things like trench composting, which you know my grandparents did this, where they grab all their food waste, they dig a hole in the ground and they put that and they put a bit of soil back over the top and the next thing you know, it's disappeared in a couple of weeks and yeah. it's gone into the soil. So, And that's good because it saves, you don't have to have a separate composting system going no, on. You just do no. it all in the one. Just keep putting it in the soil, leave a section and keep working a different section each time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's also the idea that people think that you need to spend a fortune, mm. which you really don't, you know. I, I honestly... Um, bit contradictory because I made a business out of selling raised garden beds, you know, yeah. and I'd charge to do that. But you don't need a raised garden bed to actually yeah. start food. All no. you need is soil. So the only advantage you have, I think, sometimes, and you've got to be cautious of if you are in an urban setting, if you're in an old industrial area, mm. actually the soil's contaminated. And that's why raised garden beds are a good option. Mm. But that being said, if you don't have a yard, you know, the thing is pots are a great option for many people, yeah. you know particularly if you rent, because you can move them. Um, and you can move them around. So I find them, I've used a lot of pots, and I still do at home, mm. down the way at the back of the house, because um, I can plant things like herbs and lots of leafy greens. Mm. Uh, but if something doesn't work, I can also move it, you yeah. know? And, and you can use all it. sorts of things too, can't you, like an old yeah. bathtub or... You can be creative. Yeah. You know, the main thing, as long as it's got drainage holes, Mm. Okay, so that the water flows through it and that it can it can actually hold the soil, yeah. you know. Um, I do like even just, you know, the cheap plastic pots. Yeah. But one of the things that I've used recently is because I've gone down to the greengrocer and I've got a heap of um, polystyrene boxes mm. yeah. with holes in them. They're perfect, yeah. you know, particularly for growing things like um, leafy greens. Yeah, and actually uh, insulate the soil a little bit too, don't they? Yeah, they do. I use them to, to actually start all my seedlings. Mm. So I, I use a polystyrene box and I'll, I don't have any at the moment. But normally what I do is just a piece of glass over the top. Yeah. And I'll, from a picture frame or whatever it might be, create like a mini greenhouse and it's a great way to propagate mm. um, young seeds. And I think we all need to be doing that now because it sounds like all the seedlings have <laughs> just disappeared. Crazy and even now. The seeds I, are now I wish I had a nursery go. now because yeah. you, know? um, you can't buy any. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. But the thing is, yeah, again, you don't need um, – you don't need seedlings. The beauty of growing seedlings, though, is that um, particularly in a small space is that you don't need as many because mm. when you do propagate, you tend to get a lot of plants. Mm. Uh, the great thing is it's a perfect time to then go share them with your neighbours, yeah. you know, yeah. encourage them to get into growing. Yeah. And just to put it into context for people who may be listening to this sometime in the future, we're yeah. recording this in the middle of the uh, social distancing, self-isolating time of COVID-19 in April 2020 so everyone's at home and people are really getting into growing and yeah seedlings have sold out and so yeah, yeah we're all having to be as resourceful as possible and yeah the more food that we can be growing in our own gardens the less we're relying on trying to get out to the supermarket or the market or the green grocer to get our veggies. 
Yeah, and it, I think also it just gives you, you know, because we are at home, it gives you something to do, mm. and it's really rewarding. There's nothing better than growing your own food, you yeah. know. Um, and it brings back the control mm. and, and that feeling of control. So um, it's nice to, to know that you can can sort of look after yourself a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and you know where the food's come from, yeah, it's been put on it, and all of that sort of stuff. And yeah. And I guess that's also the point, if you do want to start, is just grow food that you're actually going to, going to eat yeah, and you totally. love, you know, because I see it quite often when people come in in the past when I've had a nursery or when I go and consult and they go, oh, what do you want to grow? And I go, well, what is it you eat, you know, because yeah. there's no point growing, you know, um, radishes if you don't like them. Yeah, you totally. know? Yeah. But um, just think and also think about how your, um, your your weekly shop is made up of you know what things you could potentially grow at home, mm. but often encourage people to think about high yield yeah. in their crops as well, and things like lots of leafy greens. So you can you know lots of lettuce, um, and particularly cut and come again variety. So you mm. can go out pick a few leaves, and it will continue to grow. Mm. Things like kale and sprouting broccoli is another yeah. a great example because you can pick a few leaves, and the plant will still grow. So yeah, you get a very long season out of it. Um, and also herbs. That's the other thing. You can go to the supermarket and you spend $4, you know, on a bunch of herbs that you could be growing at home. Mm. And you don't and you actually don't... need them all. Oh, you... oh. Yeah. The, the, the one of the prime ones that I always see, spring onions, you know. Yeah. One of the tips I give to listeners is if you get spring onions from the supermarket, you only even use one or two of them, mm. grab the rest of them and put them in the ground because yeah. they'll still grow yeah. and they'll be ready for when you actually want to use them. And then when you do want to harvest them, just cut them at the base, leave the roots in there, and they'll continue to grow again. Yeah. And what about getting like as much, like are there some techniques that you use to sort of get as much food growing in a small space? Um, yeah, definitely. Particularly with the, in terms of the, you know, everyone wants to grow when they think of a vegetable garden as nice rows mm-hmm. of vegetables. Yeah. Now, which is great, looks looks really appealing if you've got the space. But if you don't have the space, you want to try and fit as much as you can into that space yeah. and maximise the space. So try and plant in, in sort of like a diagonal or grid fashion and interplant those different varieties. So you can interplant them with things that are going to obviously be um, ready to harvest earlier. So like things like planting, say, for example, radishes with your carrots. Mm. You know that your, your radishes are going to be ready to harvest. Mm. earlier and the carrots will continue to grow afterwards yeah. same interplant things like i do quite often a lot of my brassicas so at the moment i've got a heap of uh, broccoli planted and in between the broccoli i've got my onions yeah you know so it's looking at at ways to actually um plant interplant those crops yeah um the other great thing about it it also encourages diversity in the garden mm. so by having um that diversity also discourages um, pests yeah. and those sorts of things. So um, really important. And then you can also look at things like actually growing things vertically too, mm. you know, maximise the space. So um, whether it be a wall or a fence, you could look at actually putting pots on there. Mm. Um, and there's plenty of different systems for vertical um, growing. The only thing that I would give uh, advice I'd give to listeners is to actually make sure that they, um, they're large enough because quite often um, there's not enough soil in a lot of these systems and they yeah. dry out very quickly and they're not really made for growing food. Mm. But uh, 
that's one option. And then in terms of growing vertically as well, it's just a mean in terms of actually having growing frames. So actually look to train things upwards, mm. you know, you know, whether it be pumpkins up can, and, you know, cucumbers, all those sorts of things can actually yeah. be growing vertically. Yeah, and, and they don't take up too much space no, in the garden. And you look at it, you're the same with fruit trees. You could espalier all your fruit trees, which mm. will maximise the space, but it will still give you a decent yield. Yeah. Yeah, and I've been experimenting with having fruit trees in amongst the veggie garden, so you've kind of got that cover, especially in summer, especially the deciduous fruit trees that yeah. lose all their leaves. So in winter you're still getting the sun, but in summer it's just giving a little bit of shade yeah. over those delicate plants like coriander and things like that that are really prone to bolt when yeah. they get too much and then they dry out. Yeah, and has it, got, has it been working for you? Yeah, it has because it, it just grew from a pip, so I was like, yeah. I'll just leave it and see what happens. And, um, yeah, and it's fine. It hasn't taken away from that bed because that was one yeah. of the worries that it would all the nutrients would come out of it. But I think the roots of the fruit tree are going down lower than where the veggies are at. So, yeah, on the whole, it's been good. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it's also the same with your fruit trees, uh, growing a whole lot of plants underneath the fruit trees to actually support the fruit trees. So... You know, you can have some berries underneath there and some ground cover crops and sweet potato or something like that so that you're not sort of having your trees over here, your fruit, your veggie gardens there. You can, you can integrate them all. Yeah. It's a bit better. Totally agree. And what about um, feeding the soil? Like what sort of, if you are in a smaller space and maybe don't have room for a big three-bay composting system, what what are some of the smaller composting we can compost at home, but it's very difficult to have the space in order to, to produce enough to then be putting on the garden because uh, it takes such a long time, mm. you know. I've got a compost bin there, but I, I think I, I haven't pulled any compost out of it for the last year, you know, mm. and it's still going. Because what happens is the worms get in there and it just keeps sinking, you know, and it keeps... Um, so occasionally I'll, I'll use it more as a worm farm and I'll use that to actually sort of inoculate each of the beds, mm, yeah. grab some of that, and, and I'll put a, a shovel full in each of the beds. Yeah. Um, what I would encourage is people to actually just um, either buy good quality compost mm. um, and make sure that it's organic. Yeah. Um, if you happen to buy it in bulk, from a local sand and soil place, just make sure that it's been tested from a pH level because one of the things that throughout my time of installing veggie gardens, mm. I used to go through a lot of compost. Mm. But the biggest issue that we had with it was that quite often the pH level was well and truly out of whack. Yeah, okay. Because uh, what happens is quite often they put a lot of lime in it mm. and, it, and, it, and uh, it just it's really hard to then get it back to a nice neutral mm, And it puts your position. whole garden out of Yeah, that. and it would be like, I'd have customers ringing up, go, oh, nothing's growing. And I'd be like, oh. And then they'd go out and test the pH and just go, oh, it's no wonder. And then trying to adjust takes such a long time. So just make sure um, if you do get it from a sand and soil place is that you actually mm. check the pH level. The stuff that you buy in bags, it's fine. It's perfectly mm. fine to use. Just make sure that it comes from an organic source. Mm. And that being said as well, when you're talking about growing in pots, um, same goes with your um, your potty mix. Preferably go for an organic potty mix, um, and you get what you pay for. Yeah. 
okay? Because the big difference between pot in with potty mix, um, the difference between them from a $2 bag that you get from the supermarket compared to the $12 from the nursery yeah. is the fertilizer. Yeah. So it's what's actually in it that actually feeds the plants. Mm. So you can buy the $2 bag from the supermarket. Just be aware of that, that you're going to have to add stuff to it mm. to yeah. make it good. Yeah, which sort of brings you back to... If you can't, you know, if, when you're making your own compost, you don't have that worry because you kind of know what's in it and you know where yeah. it's come from. And, yeah, exactly right. I mean, one thing I found with those smaller compost bins was those circular, yeah. um, I don't know what you call them, like a turn It's like an aerator, I yeah. think that would be And you cool. screw it down into it and yeah, then you yeah. pull it up. And I found when I used that, the compost broke down so much more quickly and it was oh, much the better. The tricks that I used to do was I'd actually put a, a PVC pipe in the middle, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. fill some holes yep. to try and aerate it. Because mm. uh, get... it's when it, yeah, it turns into that sloppy, yeah. stinky mess is when it hasn't got enough air or enough carbon. And then the kids won't go out and put the, the scraps in there because, Dad, it stinks, you know. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then you get all the flies as well. Yeah. Um, fungus gnats so, so yeah that's that is just more of it being out of whack like if people do have it might need some more carbon and so yes yeah. I always compost at, don't have to be smelling. to me the way that I used to explain it to a lot of clients is it's a bit like making dough yeah okay if it's too dry you're gonna add have to add some water yeah. you know and that likewise with your compost and if it's too dry it's sticking you know it, well it's not not actually sticking together you're gonna actually add the water but if it's the opposite where it's too wet you're gonna have to add some dry brown stuff you know so i always used to keep a bag of pea straw next to compost add that a couple handfuls occasionally handful of lime every so often Mm. uh, i'll break it down um and it's matter getting that consistency right yeah Um, yeah i had mine next to the um chook house so that if it was getting a bit like it needed some more carbon, I could just grab straw from the chook house yeah. that had a bit of manure in it as well. And and it's also that thing of making it easy, isn't it? Like if you yeah. compost bins way down the end of the garden, then it tends to turn into that sort of neglected, smelly mess. Yeah, it sure does. That's like anything. It's the same with with choosing a space to actually put your veggie patch itself. Mm, it's like yeah. as if it's all the way at the back of the property, mm. you're just not going to utilise it. Yeah. So I've always recommend people to have it in somewhere where near the kitchen, preferably, yeah. that they'll go out and actually tend to it. Mm. And somewhere and where you see it every day too and yeah. you walk past it. And... It's like I've always also recommended, say, pots with herbs and those sorts of things, yeah. put them out your front door because then yeah. you'll actually will remember to water them. Otherwise, it's like, oh, whoops, I haven't ordered that in a while. It's looking yeah. a bit sad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, totally. yeah. So, yeah, because the other thing, out of mind, out of sight, you know, out of sight, yeah. out of mind. So, yeah. yeah. So after you uh, left that business making gardens for people, you went and spent some time in Italy. Can you tell me about that experience? It was amazing. I still, it's been almost, what, four years now, coming up to maybe five. Yeah. And was, my heart's still broken in many ways. That's yeah. one of the reasons why um, I hadn't actually dug the front lawn because I was thinking, oh, it's some, you know, we kept meaning to go back. Yeah, yeah. This is the third time. Um, we've meant to have gone back and I've had to cancel again. Yeah. So um, something's telling me to stay here and stay put, grow yeah. veggies. But um, the experience was wonderful. It, at the time, uh, my wife had been unwell 
and she'd been given a chance to have a year off work. Um, so we decided to pack our bags up and pack the house up and literally go on and live in Italy. It was always a dream of ours. Mm. And, um, we chose a town called Luca. And the reason we chose that town was because they had a school there. It was the only place that we found that had a bilingual school mm. for both Olive, but also had, so Olive was in childcare at that stage as well. Yeah. So they had that facility. We'd never, either Beck or myself, had ever been to Luca, so we didn't really know what we were expecting mm. when we locked up at the train station yeah. with the two kids and six bags and going, oh, I'm going to spend a year here. Yeah. You know what? It was amazing. Mm. It was simply amazing. If anyone is not aware of Luca, um, go and Google it. It's one of it's a it's a city outside, about half an hour out of Pisa, um, on the way to Florence. Um, it's Fantastic. one of two cities in the world. Yes, in Tuscany, mm. uh, two cities in the world that actually has still a medieval wall intact mm. around. The so you get around by bike inside the city. It's about the same size as the Tan, which is the botanical gardens down here in Victoria, which is four kilometres long. Yeah, okay. And so everyone, you know, this. so this wall sits about probably 20 foot above the ground mm. and you can drive a car up there, but no one drives. What they do is they run and they go for walks. They go to Casajata every night. Mm. And it's, it's a amazing, just amazing little town. And, um, yeah, we moved into an apartment there. And uh, Beck and myself did a course at the time for what they call new Italians yeah. to learn Italian. And it was great because I got to meet lots of people from other nationalities, from like, you know, Sri Lanka, Albania, um, Nigeria, all these a melting pot of different cultures and amazing experience um, to see people from different walks of life and different financial positions as well. Mm. Um, and to realize how fortunate we are, mm. particularly. Australia and um, anyway I was doing this class and I spoke to um, the teacher there and saying I was going crazy because I live in an apartment I'm such an outdoors person I just need a garden do you know can you help me out she said oh there happens to be a community garden um, up the road that you can go and maybe see if they've got a plot for you and that's what I did I got on my bike and it's along this path um, called the Via Francigena Mm. which is a pilgrim path that runs from Canterbury in the UK all the way to Rome mm. and actually the very base of um, Italy. Um, it's one of my dreams next is to actually walk some of that. But mm. anyway, the garden was it was this old football oval and they'd converted it to a community garden. But their idea of a community garden is very different to what our idea of a community garden mm. is. Well, um, they used it mainly for um, uh, kids that had dropped out of school and were struggling. So program in place and they also had a program for um some disabled people and those sorts of things they just were kind enough and said oh you can have that little section over there yeah. which was nice because i was fortunate again because in most cities in italy they don't have community gardens it's not really a thing yeah uh, because the way that they live is quite often they'll have little towns and they'll have uh agricultural area around that town so you're always exposed to where your food comes from mm. and i think ultimately is the big difference between their culture and ours mm. in many that particularly in the country, um, oh, I should say in the city, uh, we tend to forget where our food comes from because it's just not top of mind. Mm. No, again, out of mind, out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. So um, that was amazing. And yeah, we spent 12 months living there. And uh, while I was there, I was also writing a book mm. about food. And it was just an amazing experience. Yeah. It's really, really bonded our family. Yeah. And 
And still to this day, um, we all talk about it and we dream of going back. Mm, I bet you do. <laughs> yeah. So um, the, the book that you wrote was called Growing Food the Italian Way. So yeah. how did the Italian way compare with, say, the Australian way or the way of other countries? I just think for them it's the only way. It's, it's a mindset and it's the way they look at food, you know. Food's so much a part of their day, mm, yeah. you know. At breakfast, they're talking about what they're having for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> and lunch, they're talking about what they're going to have for dinner. And at dinner, they're talking about what they're going to have tomorrow. You know, like it's that, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, it's it's all centred around that, you know, mm. and, and they only grow what they love, you know. Mm. Um, they're, they're very passionate about their, their food. The way that they grow as well is all about sharing too. They mm. do a lot, of, you know. Like, so, you know, um, you quite often get given produce from someone else's house or they just share. It's yeah. um, it's really about a mindset, I think, more than anything. Mm. Uh, the, the, the techniques are not any different. Or mm. I, I do think, though, one of the things I did notice, the sunlight is very different there. Okay. And then, hence why I think people go, oh, I had a tomato from Italy. It was amazing. I go, yeah, it's because it is. It's warm all the time, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, their weather tends to be a lot more consistent. And one of the things I noticed as well is hardly any wind, okay, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So one of the things I noticed coming back here in Melbourne, and we don't talk about it, so it's so goddamn windy here, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but little things, um, the weather's slightly different. Um, and they don't use things like they don't mulch, for example. Mm. Um, but, yeah, and they only really grow things that, you know, lots of bitter lettuces, lots of, and at and the same time, it's also very regional, you know, yeah. so they grow certain things in certain regions. Yeah. And did you find it was much more of that, that local food system was just how it was as opposed to our sort of big industrialised national Oh, yeah. You go, down, um, you go down the street to get your, your groceries in many ways. You they still have a supermarkets and they're reasonably busy, but um, key difference is they don't do things like Sunday trading. Sunday trading doesn't happen still mm-hmm. there. Yeah. But there's a farmer's market, for example, and now in Melbourne we have a farmer's market, say, once a month here mm-hmm. in this summer. They have a farmer's market on a Wednesday and a farmer's market on a Saturday. Yeah. yeah. And then when you purchase stuff as well, they do everything by weight in Italy. So um, you'll go and say, oh, can I have some celery? And they'll ask you how much and they'll cut it yeah, and, then okay. they'll, and they weigh it, you know. Yeah. Uh, or, if, you know, so everything's weighed. So you don't have to buy a whole head of something. So the other thing is they, they're always about fresh produce. You're better off buying little bits mm. every day. Mm. So as I said before about their culture in terms of they're talking about what they're having for dinner, mm. or, you know, they'll actually won't decide till that day and they'll only purchase stuff for that mm. day. Yeah. You know, they don't stockpile on stuff necessarily because mm. it's part of their culture to always go shopping. Mm. And it's also much a part of... Food's such a connector, isn't it? Like there's yeah. not only sitting around and eating it, but preparing it and having the posada day and yeah. making salamis and the whole family comes together. And I think that's a really beautiful tradition that is becoming a bit more popular here. More people yeah. are doing it, but we're kind of having to learn that almost. Yeah. They also, stru- culturally, it's structured slightly different because they still have a, you know, they still close at lunchtime, for mm, sure. Yeah. At twelve thirty, people go home. They have lunch. Yeah. Same with some of the schools. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they go back to work at three, three thirty. Yeah. You know, so um, that also helps. You know, so people are still eating predominantly at home. Yeah. 
And it's interesting because they don't really, Italians don't tend to eat out very much either. Mm. So this idea that you go to Italy, you're going to have this amazing food at the mm. restaurant and stuff, it's actually the best foods at people's homes. Yeah. You know? If you can taste a lasagna that, that Nanda made at that, in their home, it's so much nicer than, say, something you bought at a restaurant, yeah. you know? Yeah. In a piazza full of other tourists. Yeah, so, exactly. You've got to tap uh, into that yeah, exactly local right. experience, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, I did some woofing in Italy and stayed with the family. And yeah, that was the best part of yeah part of it because you actually live the life and you experience that, you know, swapping of products between families and the fresh ricotta from the lady up the road and yeah. you're sharing whatever you're producing. And yeah. Which, you know, still happens here in probably regional areas. I just think sometimes because we live in the city, we just forget, you know? Mm, Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, there's so much we can be doing and I think those sort of swaps and things like that are happening, whether they're informal or even sort of more formal food swaps where people come together once a month and share their produce. Yeah. Yeah. It's also the joy you get from giving, you know? Yeah. And the more you do, the more you encourage. So, for example... um, I'm growing food on the nature strip. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, amazing to encourage people to get give it a go, and it's amazing how many neighbours have stopped. Yeah. At the conversation, oh, you inspired me to actually grow some food, and I go, yeah, that's great, and we've we've swapped produce. Yeah. And every so often, I get Rose, who's the librarian here in Bayside. Yeah. Lovely lady, but she always comes and drops like some um, figs or you know something else that she might have baked. And I've had other neighbours that have dropped off some chutney and bits and pieces. Mm. It's a really nice way of mm. connecting, creating a community. And I think that's one of the, the reasons why I encourage people to grow their own food is because it's a way of building a community. Mm, definitely. And that you were saying you're planting your garden in the front yard. It yeah. has that where other people can see it and you connect yeah. and... Well, I learned that from when I used to live. I used to live in Moorabbin, and um, it was the best decision I ever made was to start growing food in my front yard because it was the way that I was able to meet my neighbours previous yeah. to me growing food in my front yard. I didn't know who I lived next to, yeah. you know, and I got to meet some really interesting people, you know, and find out that say, you know, um, there's there was a guy down the road that was into seed saving, and and you know, it was an old guy and stopped had a chat and gave me some seeds to grow and you know it's just a really great way of of communicating and meeting people within your Mm. uh, community yeah yeah and i I found that too in different places i've lived it's connecting with the older people in the community who have got all those years of knowledge and experience to share and you know you can really both get excited about tomatoes together or whatever it is that yeah you're growing and yeah you can swap because there's often especially if you grow things like zucchinis and or lemons or whatever, you know, you can have this abundance that you just can't get through, but yet your neighbour hasn't got any, but maybe they've got, you know, heaps of tomatoes. and Yeah. 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 But again, if they have none, it just feels so good to give, yeah. you know? Yeah. It just makes you feel good. So, you know, that you've done all this hard work tending to this food and it's not going to go to waste. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's nothing nicer than, yeah, being able to give someone, share yeah. that beautiful produce. Because, I mean, the most beautiful thing is, as well is, when you bring that in and you make a meal and you go, wow, pretty much yeah. everything in this meal I've grown in the garden. You know, yeah. I always get such a thrill out of it. Yeah, it's such an empowering um, thing to be able to grow your own food. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because it, it disconnects you from, you know, 
capitalism in that sense, you know. It's mm. like you've been able to grow something without necessarily paying for it, you know. Mm. Yeah. So for people who are just starting out, what what would be some advice you might give them? Just a, a recommendation of something that might help make it easier for them or make it more doable? Uh, start off with, firstly, things that they like, yeah. you know, they, they will eat. Um, but potentially the first things first, I always recommend if they're not growing anything, start off with herbs. They're so yeah. easy. Yeah. And they will make the biggest difference to your meals as well. Mm, yeah. Fresh herbs just make something jump off the plate, you know. So if you get some fresh parsley or some coriander, um, even rosemary, which is so easy to grow, yeah, yeah. but just makes a difference, you know. So I, I'd recommend that. I would, I would um, potentially also, as I mentioned before, you get what you pay for with things like potty mix. So mm. spend the money on some good quality potty mix. Uh, if you're going to be growing in pots. Um, and I like to hand water everything as well, mm, yeah. advice, because it's about spending time. Mm, yeah. And because to me, gardening is just the process of observation. Yeah. So, you know, you get better at gardening by spending time by just watching, mm, you know, definitely. and having a look and seeing what's happening. So, you know, really, you know, it's really about just spending time. Yeah. It's like anything in life, you know, you spend the time and make yeah. an effort to practice or, and do it, you get better at it, you know. And remember that you will, you know, I'm supposedly meant to be good at what I do or, you know, but I kill plants, you know. Yeah. I don't always get it right. Yeah. But that's part of the fun is always experimenting. Mm. And just, yeah, I think that would be it. Just have fun with it. Yeah. And don't be concerned if you get it wrong. Yeah. Because, yeah. If a plant dies, it's not the end of the world. You grow, you can grow another no, one. And... No, people spend more money having a coffee these days yeah. than buying one of the seedlings, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and if they die, you just buy some more. Yeah, and I think that spending time in the garden is so good on so many levels. Like it's it's yeah. good for your mental health to just take a break and go and step into the garden. But also by spending that time, you really notice all the details. Like you notice what insects are around, good or bad. You notice, you know, if there's something coming up or something's looking a bit sick and... And need some water, yeah. you know, and you start to read the signals. Yeah. And on your point as well, from a mental health perspective, like I've yet to meet an unhappy gardener. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and I think it gives you greater appreciation for the food that you do then go and buy at the supermarket. Mm. Have an understanding of what it takes to put food. Yeah. And give food to people and go, well, actually, I'm not going to waste that. I'm going to use that. Or, you know, there's a lot of energy has gone in to produce that food. Yeah. And and it teaches you seasonality so you know what's in season, what's mm. not in season. You know, maybe I shouldn't be buying those cherries, you know, because yeah. it's middle of winter. Yeah. And then when you look closely, it's like, where did they come from? Yeah, yeah. Not you here. Know, <laughs> no, but you have a greater understanding that way, you know. Mm. My other advice, I think, as well is that, as I mentioned earlier, you're growing soil first. Yeah. So spend the time really developing your soil. Yeah. Um, and the plants will, will follow. Yeah, totally. Okay, well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Thank you for having me. It's nice being on the other side for once. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, you know, uh, more than happy to help encourage people to give growing food a go because it's given me so much joy mm. and um, 
it was the best decision I ever made was to, to tell my boss where to go. So yeah. takes growing food seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good on you. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Robin. Bye. You have been listening to the PIP podcast with Fabian Kapomola and Robin Rosenfeld. To find out more about Fabian's work, visit www.thehungrygardener.com.au. For more from us at PIP Magazine, you can visit our website to subscribe to the mag, read free articles and garden guides, or listen to more of our podcasts. Visit us at www.pipmagazine.com.au or find us on Instagram and Facebook at pipmagazineau.